welcome to the Awakened Sober Podcast, a podcast about life and recovery through Christ. How y'all doing tonight? My name is Derek. To my right, we have Pastor Shane. Hello, everybody. Diagonally from me, the swanky one, Pastor Jeremy. Hello, everybody. And tonight, we're having a special guest, Mike F. Mike F., welcome. Hello, hello. Yeah. Hello, Mike, welcome. Good to have you, my brother. Happy to be here. Can we give props to the guy running the board? Oh, yeah. DJ, Jimmy James. Jimmy James. Making that sound work. <laughs> I'm really surprised we didn't get a sound effect with it. I was, yeah, I was hoping yeah. for one. It would have been good for He's that wiki, wiki, wiki. There he goes. <laughs> I was just waiting for some kind of a... Yeah. A wiki, wiki, fashion. wiki. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> so how everybody? how is everybody doing here? Let me start with... Uh, I'm going to look at you, but I'm going to say, Jeremy, how is it with your soul? It is swell. Yeah, not an answer. Swell don't work. Swell. How is it with your soul? My soul is at peace. Swell went out in the 70s, man. I like, I like the word swell. swell. I heard it. Well, I wouldn't I like, know. I like that word. So what did you do this past week? Anything fun? Uh, I took uh, six guys on a Friends of Bill float trip down to Steelville on the Hoosaw. And there were about 200 um, men on, down there floating. And it was an awesome, awesome experience. Good deal. What did I say? What did I say? <laughs> he was just laughing at you because you're a great guy. And you have <laughs> great comedic <laughs> skills. Yeah, that's what it is. Derek, how is it with your soul, brother? Uh, uh, you know, my soul is good right now. I mean, a lot of crap went on this last week. It's... Uh, Issues with family and my daughter and stuff. It's so, well, you know, at work we do the SRA. I had to do an SRA, which is suicide risk assessment, on my 13 year old daughter. And then she's up in New York and we're nowhere near there. And so it was, that was a little rough. But the plus side of it is she's coming home to live with dad in two weeks. So I'm really excited about going up and getting her. And that, um, so I've shared before in this, in this podcast about my brother who passed a couple weeks or a couple years ago, and now his family's having issues. His uh, wife is out of commission at the moment. I guess you could say she's not dead. She's just not available. Let's <laughs> say it like that. So the kids really had nowhere to go. So now my 13 year old nephew is living at my house. And you know what? I'm actually happy with all this. As much stress as I've really put it on myself this last week, I'm really at peace, that guy that did this for me. It's a good way to look at it. Good, good outlook on life. And then you have another 12 year old living with you over the summer. Oh, yeah, your kid. <laughs> <laughs> My kid hasn't left his house since summer break started. Said, keep him. He's, he's just been over there. <laughs> and uh, on, the plus, on the plus side of that, also, my nephew and him have been playing video games together all day, talking, hanging out, having a great time. And it's, so that's working out really well on that part, too. Awesome. Fantastic. Mike. Yes, sir. Welcome to Awaken Sober. Happy to be here. <laughs> I really am. Well, we're happy to have you. Um, and I, I knew that the plan was to bring you on and, and really do a follow-up to relationships our dating and relationships and yeah. recovery. But then we're like, man, we need a we need to bring a story on. So let's just bring Mike on. We'll we'll hear some of his story and then we'll hear about the other the relationships and recovery in a little bit. But how is it with your soul, brother? Honestly, 
it's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm feeling really, really well. Uh, celebrating 16 months of sobriety today. Congrats. Uh, congrats. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, a lot of hard work and it's paying off. It's totally worth it. Um, over the weekend, this weekend, I played in a couple charity golf tournaments, uh, one for Stella's Wish, and then one today for uh, a benefit for the Hilljack House. Sober living. Nice. Very cool. Forest Park. So um, good way to, you know, do some fundraising and get out with some sober people and have some fun. So everybody there was sober? Uh, They had, yeah, for the most part. Even the car girls, we'd ask them, how many beers are you giving away? And they said, none. Very cool. Yeah. About uh, over, about 200 guys, I think something like that. Over 200 guys. So wow. between you guys, you had 400 guys this weekend. Congrats. <laughs> That's what you, okay. Yeah. Why do you think James was laughing? Yeah, I yeah. get it now. Yeah. We, we definitely, we walked yeah. into it. This is why he and I are friends. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> how'd you shoot? I uh, played pretty well today. Yesterday uh, was a beautiful day, as we probably all agree. Today was a little sloppy, to say the least. I thought yesterday was a little hot. Really? I couldn't ask for a better day of golf yesterday. Well, I was in a suit in the oh, beaming sun yeah. doing a wedding, so <laughs> it was a little hot. I had shorts on. <laughs> I get it then. I get it. Jim, even though you can't really, I guess, speak, thumbs up, thumbs down, your soul is well. It is well with your soul. Good. Sounds like a good, slow rhythm heartbeat. <laughs> and, and yesterday I was in St. Genevieve, Missouri. Never knew that place really existed. Um, we were supposed to be at a... Uh, you look at me like that. I, I don't know what St. Genevieve is. I didn't know until yesterday. It's a little town, a little south of here, you know. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a little town and a lot south of here, not a little. <laughs> a lot south. But we were supposed to do this wedding under a waterfall. But we've had, or not really under it, I guess, buy it. So that way it would be part of the backdrop. Because otherwise, it, it would have been nice if we were underneath it. But we had to change the, the location this week because the waterfall dried up because of all the wonderful rain we've had <laughs> or lack thereof. Right. So, yeah, there, there was no waterfall, so we, we moved the wedding. And, I mean, it was a blast. But I can never cool down afterwards until I dunked myself halfway in a trough full of ice and water. And so I took off the suit part and head first in there and just stayed under until my ears went numb. <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> Dude, let me tell you, it worked. We got in there early. We got, it worked. It, it worked me. well. <laughs> so today we get to talk about Mike and his story. God's story of your life. So anybody want to lead questions? Do you want me to do it? How do you want to? We get a little quick story from Mike about his recovery and how it's been yeah. working for him. Like, can you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my sober date is February 11th of 2022. Um, I was down a really dark path, uh, failed relationships and whatnot. Um, way too much overexertion at work. And, uh, I didn't really see a way out. Um, Right around the week I, before I went into treatment, uh, I had a, a lot of, um, trigger warning, uh, suicidal ideations. And um, it was to a point to where I was about 24 to 48 hours to actually committing. 
and um, finally walked out, and I, I finally owned up to it, and I told my mom, I said, Mom, I, I need you to hide the gun because I'm not safe here with it. Um, look on her face was ghost white, and uh, it was the look of failure. Like, how did I let my baby boy, I'm the youngest of three boys, get to this point? And that's one of the faces that I will never forget. And it was one of the big things that I hold on to in my recovery. Um, I got contacted by uh, a friend of mine who was in the electrical union. And he said, he just checked up on me. Honestly, I hadn't talked to him in a while. His name is Andrew Robinson. And he checked up on me and he said, hey man, how, how are you? And I said, well, I'm living at my parents' house. Uh, me and the girl are separated. He goes, does drinking have anything to do with it? And... That was the one question I can think back to it now. I still remember it, even though I was pretty intoxicated. I was tired of lying to myself and to other people. I was simply just tired. And I came out with it and I said, actually, man, yes, drinking has everything to do with it. He immediately um, recommended the Aviary Recovery Center, which is where he went. He stayed for uh, a little over 90 days um, in the sober living house, the brick house. Um, and he said, I think this would be really good for you. It helped me out a lot. So I said, okay, not five minutes later, I'm on the phone with the, um, alumni coordinator, business development, outreach, however you want to put it. And he said, Hey, we can get you in tonight if you want to come in. I said, well, this was on a Tuesday. I said, well, I got a couple more nights, you know, I want to, I want to hang out with my family and make sure I, I'm, you know, get all my ducks in a row. I wanted three more nights to drink. I mean, let's be honest, right? Um, so Thursday came around, um, I have some legal trouble, so I did make sure I got all my, my ducks in a row there. And then Friday on uh, February 11th, uh, I went in at four o'clock, stayed there for 26 days. Um, did a lot of introspection when I was in treatment. I, I got to learn myself again, which was really, really amazing. You know, um, I never knew who I really was kind of a chameleon. I always can fit in wherever. And it gave me an opportunity to really check myself out. What are my morals? What do I stand for? Who do I want to be as a person? Um, not just a sober person, but as a man. I didn't really know. And like I said, I spent 26 days there. Had some help from this guy to my left, which is really nice. Um, never in a million years did I think 16 months later would I be doing a podcast in his basement. We became best friends. Um, <laughs> Not a chance. Um, so finished my time there. Uh, I think I was in there for about a week. And I said, I'm going to come back and work here. I, I remember telling one of our coworkers, I'm going to come back and work here. And got out, did seven weeks of IOP in Kirkwood. And then um, doing odds and end jobs. I was working for a, you know, a heating and cooling company. I was doing side jobs with my brother. And... Finally, I was in Colorado last summer, and I got a call from the clinical director, and he said, Mike. But hang on. Yeah. Don't go there yet. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit. Where, yes, sir. Where did it begin? Where did addiction begin for you? Uh, addiction began, I was about, I was a social drinker in high school, you know. Um, I used to get called a habitual line jumper. I'm not a stepper. I'm a jumper. <laughs> And it was always, what's Mike going to do now? What's, what's Mike going to say now? How, where's he going to go, right? What's he going to say next? And frankly, I was always intoxicated at 16. Um, so obviously, for me, 
drinking and doing drugs was a choice at the beginning. Um, it got to the point to where I was, I was an, I was a young alcoholic, probably 20, 21, uh, worked in restaurants for 12 years. Anybody who's worked in a restaurant can understand the lifestyle, working six, seven days a week, getting your shift done, drinking till five, six in the morning, passing out, not even falling asleep, but passing out, um, waking up, doing it all over again. So at a, at 20, 21, that's kind of hard to get out of, especially when, you know, there's no, I don't have any school in my background, uh, besides high school. And I could tell that I had a problem. I would always hold, I'm an alcoholic, like a badge of honor, like, oh, screw it. I'm an alcoholic. Never realizing that, well, maybe, Hey, there's might be some downside to that as well. So I really thought he was going over. I did too. <laughs> For those of y'all who can't see I really did too, honestly. Out of the corner of my eyes there. Our DJ just about fell. <laughs> if only you could see the look on his face. I meant to tell you not to do that in that chair. <laughs> so it started early, man. It really did. It started early. How was the progression for you? I know for some it's slow, for some it's quick. Yeah, um, it was so progression. I smoked weed before I ever did anything. Um, and I was always that kid. I, you know, I was a good athlete. I was said, I'm never going to smoke. I got two older brothers. They did. And um, I wind up at a party and I get high. And there's a bottle of whiskey there. Well, I'm like, all right, well, I hate the taste of beer, but whiskey is easy. I can chase it. So picked up a bottle of Jim Beam. It was off to the races. Um, went from there to... Finally getting into beer more and more and more. Um, and like I said, working in restaurants, you know, there were nights I'd have over a 12-pack, and but I'd also drink a bottle of Jameson a night, you know. Um, so it progressed rather rapidly. Um, but as soon as I graduated high school, that's when it, it got kind of out of hand, you know. Uh, so what was the turning point that made you realize that you needed help? Or your addiction? Um, you know, I don't think it was until about last year. Um, it was when I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm, I was 32 and I had so many failed relationships. Just, just all of them. Yeah, little baby. And, uh, the Shebus. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> It was, I think, I don't, I don't want to say that I, I made a, a, a split decision, but I really do think that it was very, um, it was very fluid. It really happened kind of quickly to where um, I was tired of doing the same thing. So honestly, I can say probably, I think that Tuesday was the decision. As soon as I got to that point that I was really, really considering and almost to the point of, of uh, committing suicide, that I was like, I, I, I can't live like this anymore. I can't do it. And uh, luckily, it comes back to that one question. How are, how are you? It all comes back to that one question. And I was, I was ready, man. I was ready. At 32 years old, I always say I'm, I'm in the you know, treatment field but I, for a year, but I got 17 years of experience in alcoholism and addiction. So I was at the, the end of my, of my run. 
Yeah, and I, I love that question that he asked. You know, does it have anything to do with alcohol? Yeah. yeah. That's a, a beautiful question. I was going to ask, when did you finally know? You said you, you knew you were an alcoholic and you joked about it. Mm-hmm. But when was that point where you were like, wow, like I need to get rid of this in my life? Like, Do you remember that moment of clarity? Um, I really do, actually. So I w- like I said before, I was in the electrical union. And, um, there were days that I didn't want to drink and I still found myself pulling off the road and stopping at a gas station and saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then I walk out with a sleeve or two and I had a breathalyzer in my truck at the time. I've had it for almost three and a half years now. And I had it timed out to where I could drink in my truck before I got home. That's when I knew that, okay, you're timing something out after three DUIs, tens of thousands of dollars of lawyer legal fees, and you're still doing this. Like, come on, you know? So it, it was, there, there were days, but even then, that moment of clarity, it didn't stop me until I got to that point of, of desperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what have been through this last 16 months, some of your biggest challenges that you have faced? Biggest one, some of the biggest ones were um, admitting that I'm an alcoholic. Um, And not not just, you know, hey, I'm an alcoholic, screw it, let's just, let's do it, you know, nothing's gonna, but really taking that, that next step and saying, I'm an alcoholic and I need help. Um, that was one of those things that, you know, there's, there's a stigma around alcoholism and, and, and drug use and, and addiction. And, you know, everybody thinks an alcoholic is a guy with a stick and a bag over his shoulder, kind of like a hobo or something like that. Oh, he's an alcoholic. But I mean, this doesn't, it, it touches every single person, every single, um, um, career path. I mean, there's judges, lawyers, doctors, everybody. And everybody knows somebody who is an alcoholic. Without a doubt. So but over the last 16 months, since, since you made that decision, what are, those, what are a couple of those, those hurdles, those obstacles that you've ran into, those hard times? Um, one of the worst ones was actually when I was in IOP. I was an outpatient. And um, my days were really, really long. Uh, I was working outside all day. And I noticed that I wasn't giving it my all. You know, like I had, I had finished the 26 days. I got the certificate. I did all that. Um, but the, honestly, the hardest part was just showing up to that IOP, especially when I didn't want to, I, I mentioned it to multiple counselors, like, excuse my language, but F this, I don't want to F and be here. Right. And the, he would, it was, it was Joe. He would just laugh. He'd be like, I know, I know but you're doing the right thing. And but it, him simply saying that you're doing the right thing. I knew that I was. So I needed that sense of accomplishment, you know, that sense of uh, completion. Um, other than that, um, finding a sponsor, actually deciding to make uh, myself, not make myself, but deciding to take the leap into working a 12-step program, which I never thought in a million years I would do. So how long did it take you to make that decision? 45 days. 
That was 45 days from the time you checked yourself in and then you finally said, hey, I'll, I'll go ahead. 45 days. I remember it was, it was, I was three weeks into treatment or into IOP and yeah, I, I finally said, I said, Hey man, I, I need to, I'm getting stagnant in my recovery. You know, I was going to meetings. I was doing something for my recovery, but I, I needed somebody to guide me through my recovery. So how'd you find your sponsor? Um, actually it was a, it was a, and some look down on this, but it was a buddy of mine who had about seven, eight years of recovery. We played in bands together. Um, he was, he was always the sober guy in the band. And, uh, I simply reached out and I said, Hey, would, would you be my sponsor? And he said, well, I haven't sponsored anybody in a couple of years, but absolutely let's do it. And so, um, we started and went through the 12 steps, took about, I'd say seven, eight, nine months. And yeah. And, and it was, it was what exactly what I needed which was just, like I said, guidance, because I didn't know what I was doing. Do you still have the same sponsor today? I do not, no. Um, about two months ago, I uh, finally, by talking to some of my very, very close friends, um, this guy, bald guy next to me, um, I said, hey, I'm, I'm getting stagnant again. You know, I, I've gone through the steps. Um, I'm not having the, the right amount of contact with my sponsor like I need. And I talked to somebody at my home group at the 212 Club in O'Fallon. Um, shout out. And not the first one. No. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, they do they do work. So um, talked to a guy um, from, with a by a you know, he was referred to me. Um, and I simply said, would you mind being my sponsor? We met up, we talked, and he's been my sponsor for a little over two months. And uh, talked to my old one. I said, hey, man, I, I, I'm going to go in a different direction. He said, hey, I only needed to get you through the first year. That's, that's all I wanted to do. And hey, you have done leaps and bounds. So go do it. And I think that's what's great about sponsorship is we could end that relationship and, and they're happy for you as long as you're, you're progressing. Yeah. They're happy. They'll always be happy for you. Absolutely. Derek, were you going to ask something? Yeah. I just, uh, like, what, how's your life been since you've been in recovery, man? What changes have been, you know, have made in your life? How things better, things gotten worse, you know, kind of just like, where's your life at now since you have been working recovery? If you, if there was such a thing as night and day, mm -hmm. it, it's definitely from night to day. Well, there is a thing called night and day. Yeah, but if it was we like it if it day. was like a like a reality, you know, okay. like something tangible you could feel. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a how about a one eighty? Not just see. Yeah. 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 Not just see. Because it never gets dark at night, right? Yeah. In Alaska? <laughs> no. Um, so it it literally has been hundred and eighty degrees. Um, I don't have bad days anymore. I have bad moments. And the only way that I get through those really, really tough days is because I am sober. That's plain and simple. Um, before I would have given in to temptation, um, I would never have had the chance to feel the things I feel now, emotionally, psychologically, if I was still drowning him up. So that is one of the things that I constantly say is that it gets better. And it literally, it gets better every single day. So how do you stay motivated? How do you stay motivated to stay sober? How do you stay motivated to keep working your recovery, even in the difficult times? 
difficult moments, not days. Mm-hmm. Support system. That's my biggest thing. Um, I Tell have, me about it. Yeah, I have, um, I have a pretty fantastic support system. Um, I get to work with a lot of my support system, which is unheard of. Not a lot of people get a chance to do that. Um, but I get to see my support system on a daily basis. And then I also get to work with other addicts and alcoholics as a CPS in my position. Um, I, I see the transition from day one of a treatment setting to day 21, 26, 30, however long their stay is. So seeing them come in on day one desperate, <clears throat> that keeps me desperate because I remember exactly where that person was. Maybe not the whole story, maybe not what was going on, but that desperation, I get to see that and I hold on to that. Um, like I said, I work with a lot of my support system. Uh, I talk to them on a daily basis. They push me to be better. And I needed that. They, they are my coaches. And I, like I said, I grew up playing sports. Um, I lost that in my, in my later years of, of addiction and alcoholism. And to have that back has been a blessing. It really has. So before we go back to the support system, CPS is what you said. Yes, sir. We'll have people that don't know what it is listening. So what is the CPS? Yeah, CPS is a certified peer specialist. Um, What it is, essentially how I put it across is I get to use my story of recovery to help other people in their journey towards theirs. So I refer to my story as a lot um, of what happened, where I am, um, where I am now. And basically... Peer support is, I'm a peer support. I am a support to addicts and alcoholics, whether that be um, help them get um, doctor's appointments, uh, any legal troubles, any lawyer's appointments they need to go to. Um, I help set out their ap- their aftercare, whether it be uh, outpatient, whether it be another treatment facility. Um, at the end of the day, I'm simply there to improve someone's stay at the treatment center and also to give them the best chance of success upon leaving. I love it. Lord. Jim is just sitting there with his arms crossed. He said, I'm, no, I, think, I want to make sure I'm a part done. of this. You already bored, Jeremy. When he crosses his arm, it means the point that he's done. I'm used to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Jeremy said, I, w- I want to be here for this. I want to. I want to be a part of it, and yet he right. hasn't really spoke I'm just up, listening. <laughs> you just wanted to sit beside him? I do. I do. So you can I, hold his hand. It'd be okay. Now we're good. How has your, your sobriety you know, affected the relationships with like friends and family that you have? Yeah, so um, it's kind of funny that you know, I, still, I still hang out with friends that are drinkers, okay? Um, my golf, golf is my huge passion now, and obviously what happens on a golf course, a lot of times you drink. Um, but the support that I've gotten from the people that I play with, as in the respect that I have gotten from the people I play with, um, always asking, always being cordial, never shoving it in my face. Um, literally never asking me if I want one. Um, they understand what I'm going through and I couldn't ask for more from them. Um, I lost quite a few friends. I did because they're still in active use and I just, you know, um, people grow apart and that's okay. I've accepted it. Um, family relationships, they, my mom is my biggest, she's my rock. Um, she's doing Al-Anon and it's not only, I guess what, what, what she, I'm her certification in getting into Al-Anon is what we like qualifier. to call qualifier. Yeah. I'm her qualifier. Thank you. Um, but actually it has helped her in her recovery because she grew up in a alcoholic household 
She was the youngest of seven. Um, her dad was a very, very verbally abusive alcoholic. So she, she gets to work on her own troubles and whatnot going through life. Um, and then it has then transitioned to my dad, who is working an OA program. He's an Overeaters Anonymous. Um, and honestly, our whole house is like a house of recovery now, which is really, really awesome. Um, we're constantly picking each other up, constantly, you know, um, trying to say the right thing or just be supportive for them. Um, my brothers, they're not alcoholics. They still drink from time to time, but the support I've gotten from them, you know, and all, all the, all the, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of you and, and good for you. And we, we never, we never talked about stuff like that. You know, we, we, it was kind of like, you know, go and do your own thing. Um, they're four and five years older than me. So we had a close relationship, but it was a little bit far apart as well. Um, so it's kind of brought us a little bit back together, which is really, really awesome. Nice. Go ahead. You want to keep me? I, I'll, I got all kinds of questions. Man, for we're me. right here, man. We're right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever I don't get out today, I got you tomorrow. Believe me. Okay. <laughs> what are some common misconceptions that you feel that people have about addiction and recovery? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and not just the hobo. And not just the hobo. Some common misconceptions. I would say the common mis one of the common misconceptions is that there's a certain type of person that is an alcoholic or an addict. That went out the door maybe 10 days into my recovery because I was at a treatment center with lawyers, doctors, nurses, cops, you know, firemen. So it literally, it showed me that, you know, it doesn't, there, there is not one type of person that this, this affects. It affects people all over the place. And if it doesn't affect a person right there, it affects somebody that they know. Everybody knows somebody who is struggling with something. And I never really accepted that or never even knew that. Because in my addiction, I can't help it. I talk with my hands. Um, yeah, but they hear it really bad on the. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We pick it up. Tie my hands behind. No. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't know how to, um, or I never, I never knew that. You know, I, I thought it was. Um, I never really knew what an addict or an alcoholic was until I got into treatment. Like truly, I never knew what one was. It was just, oh, I'm drinking. Here's what it is. You know what I mean? Um, as far as misconceptions, though, it's. That's a very, very good question. You got me on the spot on that one. I think that's the point, right? <laughs> well, it's not really to stump you. I mean, it's just really, is, is there some misconceptions that you'd love to be able to set straight? And I think you set them without, I think so, I, it's, too, without it affects question. everybody. It, yeah, absolutely, 100%. It, addiction does not discriminate. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you make 500000 a million dollars a year, if you are unemployed. Absolutely. Addiction is addiction. Mm-hmm. But how do you view addiction? Do you see it as a choice, as a disease, or something else, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of preluded to it earlier. Um, for me, in my own life, the first time I used was a choice. Okay? The first couple of years I used were a choice. Quickly, that choice was taken away from me. Because the days that I didn't want to drink or didn't want to get high or didn't want to use were taken away by getting drunk, getting high, or using. So um, 
for me, I believe that it is a choice, but it quickly turns into an addiction. It, it quickly turns into a disease. How difficult was it for you to, yeah, I'm talking. How difficult was it for you to uh, do that fourth step, you know, um, and, and then admit it and then kind of realize where it all came from? And then how did that play into uh, the rest of your recovery from, from there on through the rest of the steps? And how has it changed you and made you realize yourself? Um, that's the wall breaker. You know what I mean? That's, that's one of, that's the one that it really gives you a chance to realize, okay, there was causal effects to my life and what I did and, and how I'm living it. Um, I have a tremendous, not only sponsor, but I also have a tremendous therapist who we, we talk about, um, a lot of the stuff that's gone on in my life, whether it be trauma, whether it be um, the addiction, everything. And getting to tell somebody who not only understands, but who has been there, that's one of the biggest things that you can do because recovery is passed down. It's not just something you get. It is something that you, you receive and also something that you give away. So for me, working that fourth step, or we have a thing that I do with my therapist called an impact statement where it literally teaches you what do you think of, um, what did you think of women, what did you think of men, teachers, um, what did you think of the world, what did you think of yourself? Um, so working through a lot of those things uh, with the help of Mr. Shane here, thank you very much, sir. Um, I only listened. Yeah, you did, <laughs> but you're a good listener, so. I was proud of you, man, because that, that was huge. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's one of those things, that's, I, I needed that challenge, you know? I needed to feel uncomfortable again, and I did. Um, and I've never, I, I haven't looked back since. And you know, it's just, it's just one of those things, like the more I'm honest with myself, myself, especially during that fourth step, the better I feel, because I don't have to lie to myself anymore. Hmm. So you brought up seeing a therapist. Mm -hmm. I think this is probably a perfect time. Uh, where is this therapist at? What does, where does she come? Uh, I guess we didn't say who or what. Who or what? I know where, what he's getting what at. Pro, what program, where, does, where do you go see, seek your therapy at? Uh, this little place called Reclaiming Hope. Reclaiming Hope? Yeah. Hey, so why we got this moment, we got Hold to bring on. that out. So, <laughs> let's, take, let's take a quick minute break here for our Reclaiming Hope moment. And then we'll come back to some more hope, huh? Yes. So Reclaiming Hope uh, Recovery Center is where people that are struggling with mental health or substance use and their families could come and find hope and healing by being anchored in recovery and in Jesus. And that's what I want to talk to Mike more about here in just a few minutes. So that the ripple effect will empower and change others' lives, both in the community and the world. Um, so we will have family therapy. That's, that's me. And, and I know we hear about family therapy programs in different recovery places, but really there's, there's not a whole lot of family therapy that goes on in most of them. And, and so to us, it's, it's truly about bringing them in and having counseling therapy for the entire family. Because unfortunately, most of us wrecked our families. And if it wasn't us, it was somebody. Our families are torn apart and they need to, they need to be put back together. And that's what we want to see. We want to see families put back together. We want to see lives put back together. And we want to see hope and healing for everybody. So 
That's what Reclaiming Hope is. I love it. I Me love too. It. <laughs> so with that, with a little bit of hope, what would you like to give people for hope? What kind of message of hope? I'm struggling. I don't know where to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to, where to turn. What do I do? For me, reach out to your friends or reach out to the people that you know you can trust. Not a lot of people can say that. Not a lot of people can do that. Especially in active addiction, we don't think that we can trust anybody. I know I didn't. I mean, I was an isolationist through and through. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't do anything. Um, but I also had to realize that there's people that do love you and who are trying to reach out. Take that hand. There are people that are trying to help. And if you don't take that hand, what can you expect to get? So where are you with the relationship with your higher power? Because if you're working the steps, I hope you have one. I do. I absolutely do. Um, so little backstory. So I, I grew up in a Catholic school. I went Catholic K through 12. Um, and you know, we were, it wasn't a, a very, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we, so I, I went to church, you know, once or twice a week at school and it was, uh, I was about 12, 12 or 13. And my mom said, if you don't want to go to church anymore on Sundays, you don't have to go. And I said, well, 12 or 13. Yeah. I'll, I'll stay home and play video games or, you know, go, go play some hockey or something. Um, and that's where I, I think that that might have been one of the uh, defining moments when I had and I didn't have to go anymore because it was my choice where I started to fall away from my faith. Um, I had quite a bit of tragedy when I was uh, right around 11, 12, 13. So naturally, you know, I'm going to I'm going to push all of that away, you know, my faith um, the higher power, all of that. Um, but since I've gotten recovered, I feel like I get to see my higher power every single day. My higher power is connection. My higher power is being of service. My higher power is the rooms. Okay. Um, like I said, I get, I get to see it and I get to work with my higher power on a, on a daily basis, other addicts and alcoholics. It's something greater than me. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this to be of service to other people. So I hold that near and dear to my heart. Um, but also, the more recovered I get, the more my higher power is always shifting. So the more things that are inexplicable, um, unexplainable, all of it, the more my faith is slowly coming back. And I say that with an honest heart because, like I said, I've, I've fallen away, but that's okay. It most certainly is, and that's why we do what we do mm -hmm. for the one. Exactly. So hopefully it's not our job to convict. Our job is to love, mm -hmm. right? Holy Spirit will do the conviction. And as you continue to see what you need to see, as, as God reveals himself to you and you're willing to, to open your eyes, hey, We'll all kick it in heaven one day. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have faith I in that. <laughs> so what strengths or qualities have you developed during your, this recovery journey of yours? Strengths and qualities. 
Um, well, number one, being honest to other people as well as to myself. Um, I know when I'm slacking, and also I appreciate the honesty when other people see me slacking. Let's just say that. Um, because like I said earlier, that drives me, that pushes me, because I want to be the best person, version of myself that I can be. Um, and I can't do that under influence of a substance. It's just not possible. Um, the, sorry, repeat the question. I apologize. <laughs> it was a wordy one. It happens to me all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. There it is. <laughs> just what strengths you have built up okay. in your recovery that you're able to share with others. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. Sorry. Um, one of the biggest things that I think is one of my strengths is my compassion. Um, I stopped caring about things in my addiction. I stopped caring about people. I used to love being of service when I was a kid. I mean, I would do, uh, I would go on retreats. I would do all kinds of service. And then um, that stopped uh, about the end of high school. And I just never got back into it. Um, and I refound my compassion for others and also my empathy for others, realizing that I'm not alone that other people have gone exactly through what I have gone through. Um, luckily, I've kind of kept my sense of humor through it all. So it's kind of it's nice to be able to, um, I wouldn't say break tough news with a smile, but left definitely lessen the blow. How about that? <clears throat> okay. <laughs> so you said you get to work in the field. Mm-hmm. So that, that answers one of my questions that I would normally ask before. So let's, what are your plans? What are your hopes for the future? Where do you see yourself one, three, five years from now? Yeah. Um, Five-year plan. Um, I'd like to be in some form of management at some form of treatment center. Um, not sure where, not sure what. Um, but I have a, and this goes back to the last question, I have a... Um, I've always been a a leading type. I've always been a a good leader. Um, Leading by example, um, being able to rally the troops, if you will. And in some form of management, um, I think would be the best way to utilize my strengths. Um, At this time, right now, I am very comfortable in my position. Uh, I love being a CPS. I love being on the ground, um, doing the work. And uh, I'm also a MADAC as well. I'm a Missouri uh, Associate Alcohol and Drug Counselor. So I get to have one-on-ones with clients. I have my own clientele. Um, and I love that. You know, My one-on-ones with my clients are some of the best times of my day, simply because we can dive a little bit deeper as opposed to me talking to you know 40 to 45 people at once, right? Um, so I don't know if I want to lose that yet, but I'm not thinking too far ahead. You know, I have goals, obviously. I have goals. But I always say tomorrow's not promised. So if I can achieve what I can today, all that stuff will work out. So I'm going to ask Derek and Jeremy something. You work with them. <laughs> oh, he gets to work with me, but yes. <laughs> I was say, you, know, <laughs> you work with them. <laughs> Tell me about it. He sits behind me and it does. But that's <laughs> so everybody puts Mike in a corner. <laughs> Tell me what you see. What do you see in Mike? I'll let Derek go first. Well, Mike's also Mike has also become a client advocate at work. 
he really takes the time out. I mean, I can sit and talk with these clients, and I you really get them to open up. But the work that he does for these clients is amazing. I mean, like he does. He's got a heart different than I do, and I love my clients. So what does he do? Give me, give me something. Well, he gets. He's got like. I'm surprised he doesn't have his own phone for just sober living. That he just gets on there, boom, hey, I need somebody to get in here. Can you get him in? Oh, cool. Excellent. All right. Dude said you come in um, as soon as you get out of here on Friday, be there on Saturday. You got a place to stay. I see stuff like that happen with Mike. Jeremy, you've known him for a while. Yeah. You yeah. guys have become buddies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be too convincing now. I, I mean, I've been with him since day one in the recovery. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and I, we were—I think we were golfing the other day. I know we were—we do a lot together. But I remember telling you, I get emotional about this kind of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you don't—you don't have to hit the button. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I honestly, I didn't like Mike when I first met him. I—I I, I didn't, and I was like, I just want to kind of punch him in the back of the head, you know. Um, he just kind of walked around, and I, I, there was something about him. I'm like, I just don't like this guy. <laughs> I love it. And probably because it was the exact same thing as me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I came into treatment, I, I knew that if I drank again, I would die. And so drink equals death. It was life or drink for me. And honestly, not everybody has that same mentality when they come to treatment. And Mike had that. And Mike was willing to do the things that were necessary in order to maintain a life of recovery. And it's not, it's very unusual that somebody goes into recovery the very first time and maintains a long period of sobriety that that goes against every single statistic out there. And he's doing it. And, 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 you know, he talks about how he has a support system at work and, you know, you're my support system. Derek's my support system. And it is nice to have that. And it's nice to know that I have like two of my really good best friends that work with me. And when, when something goes bad, they call me on it. Like if I'm having a bad day, he'll call me on it. Hey man, let's talk, you know, and I'll do the same thing for him. And we don't even have, we don't even have to say it. And, and the way that he, he lives his life. It's not just say doing, do as I, sorry, my steak's done. Um, <laughs> dinner time. It's, it's my dinner bell. Priorities. <laughs> uh, he's not just, he's just not throwing out words. He, he's doing it by his actions. And he started going to, I invited you to the home group mm-hmm. and, and he had a different home group and I said, why don't you come and, and check it out? And so he did. And then there's a group of guys that always go to breakfast on Saturday. I've talked about this before. And Mike went before I ever went. <laughs> and I'm like, you just came to this group, you know? <laughs> and here I am trying to take ownership of the Alcoholics Anonymous group that I'm in, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but now that's our Saturday thing. And it's it's just kind of, I don't know, it's it's just cool because I have somebody I can actually, I can trust in. But just to see him doing this thing and then coming in there and just being very passionate about it and passionate about what he does and and passionate about giving the people the medicine they need in order to do this thing. I gotta say one of the biggest plus sides of sharing an office with this guy is like you said, he just knows something's going on and I could turn around and say, Mike, I need to talk. 
what you need, bud. I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm not. It's, so it's it's awesome. I really appreciate about that about you, Absolutely. Mike. Absolutely, without a doubt. Look up Doctor Surf, and you'll you'll realize why. Doctor yeah. who? Doctor Surf, and it's not S U R F, C E R F. Doctor Surf. Okay. We work with people when we're around people all the time. We start our brain waves start to line up. So it's. It's a scientific Is that fact. like that woman thing hooking up with friends hang out a lot? <laughs> Is that the same thing we're talking about here? <laughs> yes, 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 Derek. It's it's just like the menstrual cycles hooking up. That's that's exactly that's what it's term. like. That's the term. That's exactly what it's like. But it, it's so neat that when when we share offices, when when we share life with people, we we get on that same brain wavelength and our, our brain waves actually do line up it's it's pretty neat on a molecular level because i like to research that's what i like to do yeah i like to research i like to know things and oh you know that's what i preached about this weekend i mean i can attest to that as well it's it really is that we've you know we've been through the we've been through the fire right we've been through it together so like you said you don't even have to say something any you know it's just a look like why are you, why do you look the way you do right now? <laughs> Let's talk about it. You know, why are you being short? Why are you being, um, you know, distant? Right. So I can attest. Yeah, and, and so here, I, I, we haven't talked a lot about it. You Proverbs 13, 20, um, says walk with the wise and you will become wise. Um, walk with fools and you will suffer harm. And that's exactly what it is. It's, if we're walking with the wise is, is we're walking with people and doing life with them. Hopefully they have something that we want is what we look for in our sponsors. Right. And if they are living the life that we want to live, we're going to, our lives are going to line up together. We're going to, we're going to end up doing the same kind of things. We'll have the same values. And most of the people at this table have the same values to serve people, uh, to see other people get healthy. Like we've been lucky enough and blessed enough to, to do. So I love hearing it. Has your passion always been so high since you've been in sobriety? I asked you what your biggest struggles were earlier, but mm -hmm. what about that passion that Jeremy talks about? Um, I think so. You know, it took me a while to um, actually, yes, it has been. Since I got out um, of treatment, it was uh, March 8th of last year after the 26 days. Um, I didn't just do the IOP, but I started meetings. You know, I, I started our candlelight meeting that we have every night in Kirkwood or every Friday night in Kirkwood. Um, I was doing things to not only assist me, but also to assist others, you know? And then by the getting the job that I got, it just, that, that blew my passion out of the water. You know, that was where it really, really opened up. And I could say, okay, not only do I love doing this, but I have a future in doing this which is something that I never had a passion about before. I, 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 I liked doing what I was doing, and I liked my jobs, but I wasn't passionate about any of them. Now I get, to, I get paid to help people. I get to do that. You know? There you go. Yeah. There it is. Yep. That is that, that, to me, that's, that's enough. You know? that is, that's, that's all you need. So my passion is, and it continues to grow too. And I could I could uh, back him on that one because I've seen it. 
So for those of you out there listening, Mike does not have a halo over his head as much as he sounds like right now. <laughs> I've seen this gentleman get very upset. But I've seen his passion override those feelings, and he still handled what he needed to handle. We read Jesus flipped tables. So, I mean, it's okay to get get angry every once in a while. I would ask, can I ask a question? No, you're not allowed to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I didn't even say anything yet. Um, Has there been a point, though, in this in this journey and, and for reference mike and i are about what four months apart i think yeah rough. Yeah, yeah four months apart and it's it's and he started working at the aviary like the stories are very similar mm-hmm. you know i mean almost to a t and so the good chances that i've experienced something before he has and so he gets to you know, use me as that guide. And then I get to remember, oh yeah, that's why I'm doing this. But have you experienced in this time any burnout in recovery or felt like you were, you know? Oh yeah. 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 Um, there's been, there's been days. Um, I think it's, uh, um, emotional exhaustion mm-hmm. to where, you know, you give, give, give. And, if you're not doing something for your own recovery, right? You all, we always say it's hard to fill from an empty cup. Pour, pour from an empty cup. Excuse me. Um, there has been many a day. I'm not gonna lie, to where it's like, okay, I need to shut all of the lights off. I need to go down. I just need to be. I don't call it isolation anymore. I call it solitude, because I mean, around 40, 40 to forty-five uh, addicts or alcoholics a day, it's exhausting, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's when I really have to get back to basics. And that's when I hear a lot from my therapist who is so awesome. You might want to go to a meeting. <laughs> and what do I do? I, I go to a meeting because it's the day that I need to, or it's the time that I need to. Um, exhaustion is, recovery exhaustion is a real, real thing. Um, but I've noticed that I can sense it coming sooner to where I can reach out before it actually gets to that point. Or frankly, I just, I can ask for help or ask for a break. I never used to do that before. I used to do it all, you know, independent. Let me just, let me take on everything, right? I, I can do everything. I don't have to do that. So the more I can accept that and the more I can keep that in the back of my mind, like I said, take that hand, you know, take that hand that's trying to help. So, so what does self-care look like for you? Self-care looks like for me, uh, we mentioned golf. I golf a lot. All right. I'm not gonna lie. I golf probably too much. Um, self-care for me is home group, 8 a.m., Saturday mornings. Um, every day, typically, yeah, we'll go to breakfast and we'll go to a meeting, right? Um, have a great meeting. Um, more times than not, I'm probably golfing that day. Um, self-care for me is understanding when I do need to take a break. Um, it is looking for those warning signs that, hey, you're tired. You probably need to chill out just a little bit. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. Halt. Say it all the time. And when I learned that, I never thought I'd use it as much as I did or as much as I do, you know? Um, Anytime I'm hungry, I eat. Anytime I'm angry, I talk. Anytime I'm lonely, I call. Anytime I'm tired, I take a nap. I sleep. (laughs) I rest. I mean, it, it just, yeah, it's... My wife would say Jesus took naps. 
Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was just the disciples that took naps, but. Oh, no. I think that Jesus took more naps than the disciples did. <laughs> I'll just talk about them falling asleep when he, you know, said to stay up. But, you know. Um, self-care is, is basically understanding my, my, my triggers. Self-care is understanding my emotions and actually being able to, to explain those emotions to other men in recovery or even to women in recovery because, you know, we all, have, we all know somebody, right? Um, self-care is on a different side. It's maintaining that passion for what I do because if I start to fall off in passion or I get tired of this, I'm only doing other people a disservice. I'm not doing a disservice to myself. So that keeping me going, keeping me rolling, that is one of the biggest things that I hold on to. So you've been in recovery 16 months. Mm-hmm. Relationship? And how long did it take you to get into one if you're in one? The big question, relationships. Relationships. I wanted to, because I did want to follow up piece yeah. from our, our episode that we had before. So I figured I'd ask. Absolutely. Um, so very early on in treatment, this guy to my left said, don't do anything for a year. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> then I get my sponsor. He says, yeah, you're not doing anything for a year. I go, what? Stone cold face, what? He said, you're not making any big decisions and you're not having a girlfriend or any sexual interaction for a year. And I said, okay, that's fine. That's cool. I think I can do that. But then I started seeing it pay off, you know? Um, so what I did, I waited a year. But I actually had took that year to learn myself, to learn who I could continue to learn who I wanted to be as a man, as a person. What do I want in a relationship? I could, instead of going into a relationship blind with, you know, substance at the background or uh, like just toxic, right? I could be kind of picky and choosy about who is right for me. I never had that choice because I've, since I've been 16, I've been under the influence. Always in relationships, always ruining them. Um, sometimes my fault, sometimes not, but me always taking it, right, as a man, right? Um, and it gave me the opportunity, like I said, to learn myself and to not have anything to, you know, no, there was no drama. There was no nothing. It was, I took that year to focus on me. And frankly, it was the best decision I ever made for my recovery. So you waited one year, or how long did you wait? Uh, so I actually started talking. It was about 14 months. Yep, about 14 months to where I actually put myself out there and really uh, I felt ready, you know. Um, luckily, I did find someone. Um, she's incredible. And she also, she's not in recovery, but she understands recovery. Um, she works in the field. She's a nurse. And her, a lot of her family is, you know, in, in the, um, in recovery, not in recovery, but still in active use. So her knowing that understanding that it has been very beneficial for the relationship because just like he knows, anytime I get down, she'll kind of drag it out of me. Like, no, let's, what's going on. What's really going on. She did it today. And I was like, dang it. So, um, it's I been- stink at golf. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't want to do this podcast. Like, I do suck. <laughs> I do suck. I'm scared. Will you please come play with me now? <laughs> so uh, 14 months, and and I say it to my to the clients now, you know, don't do it. And they, they do exactly what I said. Like, yeah, right. All right. Or, are you kidding me? And I, I say, yeah. You know, I use my own story to help. So I tell them all the time. It was the absolute best thing I ever did for my recovery. And I, I, I like that Mike is the example of that because we say the only thing that needs to change is everything. Everything. And relationships, as we all know in this room, are hard enough without any substances in it or any addiction issues. You add those on top of it, you know. And I've told Mike before, I said, if I was not married, knowing what I know now, that's how desperate I was. If I wasn't married, I, I wouldn't get into a relationship at all for a very long time. Because trying to figure all that out again, and, and especially in a marriage, as we know, trying to make that work and then keeping God at the center of that and then putting God first and then the recovery and then where does my wife fit in? And like, am I giving her the time that she needs? And all that stuff. And we have to, like Mike said, you have to take that time to figure out who you are and where God wants you to be. A little hard to serve a wife if you don't know who you exactly. are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Since we need to wrap up here in a minute, Mike. What is something you would leave the family or the addict that is still suffering? What would you like to say to them? The biggest thing that I want to say is that you're not alone. Amen. Through recovery, um, through finding hope again, you know that I am not alone. You never have to be alone again. Because mm. like I said, everybody knows somebody who is dealing with addiction. Or alcoholism. Every single person out there. So you don't have to go looking for it a lot, too. It'll come to you if you wait, which is incredibly beautiful. I got the opportunity to get some help, and I took it. And now I never have to be alone again like I thought I was. Never. Any closing thoughts, remarks? No, I think we covered it all today, you know. I'm really glad you joined us today, Mike. Uh, it was really, really a pleasure to speak with you and hear what your thoughts on recovery. It was really good. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it, fellas. Yeah, thank you for sharing your story. God bless you guys, and we will see you soon. Yes. Talk to you next week, y'all. So, like us on YouTube, comment, share. Last week we sent out the questions that I think we're going to try to cover next week. So if you uh, check out last week's co- uh, podcast, Answer the questions, send out the email, awakeandsoberpodcast at gmail.com. Y'all have a blessed and wonderful week. Good night.